Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. All right. I guess it's time for some Dark Poutine. I am Mike Brown, and this is Matthew Stockton. Hello. How are you? I is fine. You is fine. <laughs> Off to uh, Quebec again. Off to Quebec tomorrow. And there I, you go. I noticed one block away, there are four police cars on the street just behind your building. Welcome to Surrey. Like with their lights on and everything. Oh, yeah. They look quite serious. It probably is. I also walked past the motorcycle club. Yes. And noticed a sign that said, no mobile phones or photographs allowed inside. You're painting a picture of the neighborhood that I live in. <laughs> It's appropriate for true crime podcast. Yes, I live in a true crime neighborhood. (laughs) That's not that bad. Yes, it is. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor its parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We are not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. You are responsible for obtaining and maintaining at your own cost all equipment needed to listen to dark poutine. Dark poutine can be addictive. Side effects may include, but not be limited to, pausing and questioning the system, elevated heart rate, pondering humanity, odd looks from colleagues as you laugh out loud at work, family members not into true crime worrying about you. Positive side effects may include some perspectives and opinions that you disagree with, as well as some wokeness and empathy. If you don't think dark poutine is for you, consult your doctor immediately. On September 5, 1998, between 11 and 11.30 p.m., Brianne Ruth Wolgram was last seen at the 7-Eleven store in Revelstoke, British Columbia. She was in the company of three young females whose identities are unknown. Five days later, Brianne's abandoned car was discovered 30 kilometers south of Revelstoke towards the Alcolcolex Falls and River on Echo Lake Road. Inside the car was her wallet, driver's license, and $200, but there was no sign of Brianne. Nearly 25 years later, Brianne's family and friends are left wondering whatever became of the shy 19-year-old. Police have not ruled out foul play in her disappearance. This is Dark Poutine episode 261, The Vanishing of Brianne Wolgram. I've been planning an episode covering Brianne Wilgram's disappearance for some time. 
During a recent episode of Supernatural Circumstances, Morgan and I chatted with Brennan Storr, one of the hosts of the Ghost Story Guys podcast and author of the book called A Strange Little Place, The Paranormal Secrets of Revelstoke, British Columbia. Brennan briefly mentioned Brianne's disappearance, which prompted me to dive into the research for this episode. He helped me learn more about the case as I dug in. Revelstoke, B.C., where this story takes place, is a city in the southwestern region of British Columbia, Canada. It lies in the Columbia Shuswap region, near the intersection of the Trans-Canada Highway and Highway 23. The city is surrounded by the majestic Selkirk and Monashi Mountain ranges and is bordered by the Columbia River to the west. The area is renowned for its breathtaking natural beauty with numerous lakes, rivers, and mountains nearby. Revelstoke is strategically located midway between Vancouver and Calgary, making it an ideal destination for visitors exploring the region. The city has a rich history, with a thriving economy based on mining, forestry, and transportation in the past. Today, it is widely recognized for its tourism industry, especially winter sports such as skiing and snowboarding. The Shuswap Nation are the indigenous people of Revelstoke and they inhabited the region for thousands of years before the arrival of European settlers. Today, the Shuswap Nation strives to preserve its culture, language, and traditions and remains an active and integral part of the Revelstoke community. The community of Revelstoke was established during the construction of the Canadian Pacific Railway in 1885. The main business street, Front Street, was laid out by a surveyor, A.S. Farwell and was initially a Wild West town featuring general stores, hotels, brothels, and saloons. However, a fire in May 1885 destroyed many buildings in the town site of Farwell, but most were quickly rebuilt. In 1886, the Canadian Pacific Railway disputed Farwell's claim to the land and located their station and yards east of his property. The railway requested that the Federal Post Office Department change the settlement's name to Revelstoke honor of Lord Revelstoke, whose banking firm provided funds to complete the railway. However, a court case between the CPR and Farwell delayed the town's development for many years. Lord Revelstoke's name was actually Edward Baring. Edward Baring, yeah. And our UK listeners will recognize that name. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, he was the family of Baring's Bank. So oh, there you go. If you're super loaded in the UK, you have an account with Baring's Bank. Of course you do. I, I think it's hilarious that there's a famous ski run called Kill the Banker in Revelstoke. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just so appropriate. It um, starts at the top of the resort, goes down... 1200 meters which oh, is like 3900 feet that's a long way and it, it's like one of those i guess they call them like a double black run yeah double black diamond yeah, yeah and they have like races and stuff on on kill the banker oh dear yeah. it took until 1897 for landowners to obtain clear property titles due to the legal dispute despite the developmental setback revelstoke was eventually incorporated as a city on march 1st 1899 since its inception, mining and forestry have been integral components of Revelstoke's economy. In the 1860s, a gold rush occurred along the Columbia River just north of the city, even before the town site was established. Over $3 million worth of gold was believed to be mined in just over two years. Since then, mining in the area has been carried out intermittently. Once a prominent community in the province's interior, Revelstoke owed much of its importance to its role as a railway center. 
Steamboat traffic further amplified the city's significance as a transport hub from the south that connected with the Canadian Pacific Railway. Revelstoke boasted many facilities typically found only in large cities, including an opera house, a fully equipped YMCA gymnasium, and several large businesses. Among them was C.B. Hume's department store, the largest in the province's interior during the early 1900s. I wonder if the opera house had a perineum arch. <laughs> oh, hearkening back to uh, a previous episode. Oh, a perineum arch. I, oh, dear. I bet the opera wasn't very good, though. Like, come on, you're not going to get, like, the best opera in Revelstoke. In Revelstoke? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably somebody like me singing. Oh, dear. One <laughs> night at the opera, he saw an Aida. You know that Bette no, Midler song? Nobody wants that, Matthew. <laughs> The city gained renown as a ski jumping center and was home to North America's first ski jump completed in 1915. Many Scandinavian families resettled in Revelstoke and brought their love for ski sports. Revelstoke resident Nels Nelson dominated the ski jumping scene as the world champion for several consecutive years in the 1920s. The ski jump remained in use until the early 1970s, attracting athletes and spectators worldwide to international competitions. In the 1990s, Revelstoke began growing again and experienced several significant developments. One of the most notable changes during that time was the establishment of the Revelstoke Community Forest Corporation, a pioneering initiative to promote sustainable forest management and economic development within the community. In addition, Revelstoke was also seeing an increase in tourism, particularly in winter sports such as skiing and snowboarding. This led to the expansion and modernization of Revelstoke Mountain Resort, which opened in 2007 and has since become a popular destination for skiing and snowboarding enthusiasts worldwide. During this time, the city also underwent several infrastructure improvements, including the construction of the Trans-Canada Highway 4 laning project, which helped to improve transportation and connectivity to other parts of the province. When Brianne Wolgram disappeared on the Labor Day weekend in 1998, Revelstoke was fast becoming a busy little city. According to Statistics Canada, the population of Revelstoke in 1998 was 7,418. Brianne Ruth Wolgram was born to Cheryl and Clifford Wolgram on March 25, 1979. She lived in Revelstoke her entire life. She was the baby of the family and beloved sister to her older brothers Troy and Todd, who'd both moved out by the time she was last seen. She was active in high school sports and physically fit, often working out at a local gym with friends. Sources claim that Brianne was cautious until she got to know you, coming off as shy. But once Brienne was comfortable with you, she was outgoing, fun, and had a good sense of humor. I know people like that, and in fact, my husband is one of them. Yes, he definitely is. I, th I think I told you earlier, I thought he didn't like me <laughs> yeah, at he's, all. He's just, he's quiet, mm -hmm. but, and he takes some time. Yeah. But once he, like, knows and trusts somebody, yeah. he, he's a great laugh. And, and I actually find these people to be sort of the most dumb honest right and I, I bet you Brianna, i bet you bet you she was a great friend she was probably a great friend and honestly uh people like that who do take time to warm up to you once they are your friend they are your friend they tend to be authentic yes yep. still living at home like many young women her age Brianne aspired to attend college travel get married and start a family 
She was not going steady with anyone when she disappeared, and when she wasn't with friends or family, her life at the time was taken up by working at her two jobs, one at McDonald's and at a super safe gas station behind what was the Frontier Motel and Restaurant in Revelstoke. Brienne's jobs were along the Trans-Canada, which runs through Revelstoke. Due to her customer-facing roles along such a high-traffic corridor, Brienne would have had interactions with many strangers traveling through the area between Calgary and Vancouver. And that's important, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's a well-known fact that some killers have used small towns along major highways to target victims. Right. This is often referred to as serial killer highways or killer corridors. Mm -hmm. And it's believed that the high volume of traffic and the transient populations in the areas make it easier for killers to blend in and avoid detection. Yeah, so... I really hope this isn't the case for, for Brienne, though. I'm hoping so, too, because that's the hardest crime to solve, is stranger murder. Yeah. Brienne was a hard worker, and although saving to attend school to learn to be a pharmacy assistant, four months before she vanished, she purchased her pride and joy, a black 1989 Acura Integra. Brienne's car had a very distinctive feature in the way of its gold-colored plastic wheel covers. According to the website findbrienne.wordpress.com, quote, Brienne's car was in pristine condition and she made sure to take good care of it. That last summer was filled with slurpees, rocky beaches, and the loud blaring of Beastie Boys from her new car. They gotta like her right there. What, what was your favorite Beastie Boys song? Intergalactic. Mine too. Oh, that's cool. I love that song. Did you know, you know, you know my dog, Steve? Yes. I call him Steve. Yeah. Stevie, Stevie Wonder, Stevie Blunder. I also call him Beast and that morphed into Beastie Boy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and also I shared a birthday with Adam Youch, okay. who's passed away from the Beastie Boys. Did you, did you grow up on Slurpees like, like Brand did or uh, we had, um. There well, were no Slurpee places we had in the, Bridgewater. We had the dog one, Slush Puppies, remember? Oh slush yeah, puppies? I remember those. Yeah. 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 Brienne was wiped out from a hard work week on the day she disappeared, September 5th, 1998. The day before, she'd completed a night shift at McDonald's and then spent a late night out with her girlfriends. She'd not slept much when it was time to get up and go to work at the gas station. According to some gas station employees who later spoke to police, Brienne appeared upset and quieter than usual during her shift. At one point in the afternoon, Brienne broke down in tears, but she eventually composed herself. Cheryl, Brienne's mother, reported that Brienne's boss told her that she could go home, but she decided to continue working. I wonder why she was upset. That's a great question. That has not ever been shared publicly. Maybe people who are involved in the d investigation know, yeah. but it hasn't been shared publicly why, or maybe it is unknown. And maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was nothing. Right? Like, um, just because you're upset and you're crying, mm -hmm. you know, um, doesn't mean anything massive happened. You're just maybe having a bad day. But the fact that she went missing makes then people start wondering, right? It right. Might, might not have anything to do with it. May not. But then again, it may. This case is so frustrating. Brienne got home at around 7 p.m. that evening. She'd been looking forward to hanging out and unwinding with her friends that weekend. Brienne had been invited to a barbecue with her family, but declined to attend as she desperately needed a nap. Her parents left the house at around 8, and that was the last time they saw Brienne. After her nap at around 9 p.m., Brienne contacted her best friend, Christy Kane, and confirmed that she would pick her up at 11.15 
after Christy finished work. They planned to hang out with their friends afterward. At 11.20 p.m. when Brienne had yet to arrive to pick her up, Christy Kane called Brienne's house to ask why she was running late, only to discover that Brienne wasn't there. Christy later noted that it was out of character for Brienne not to call if she would be late for a meetup. Brienne's mom Cheryl concurred. She said that when Brienne said she would do something, she did it without fail. If Brienne had not followed through on something, there must have been an extraordinary reason. Several witnesses reported seeing Brienne conversing with three females outside the 7-Eleven before 11.30 p.m. According to news reports, no video surveillance tape was recorded within the 7-Eleven that evening, which is unusual. Another article indicates that Brienne and one of the unknown girls entered the store but bought nothing. Another of the girls was seen leaning on the hood of Brienne's car, indicating some familiarity with the vehicle, and perhaps Brienne. One man later said that he followed Brienne's black Integra out of town and noted three passengers inside, including the driver. This was the last apparent sighting of Brienne's car for the next five days. According to news reports, a hunter claimed to have seen a teenage girl walking along Echo Lake Road at about 8 a.m. on Sunday, the morning after Brienne was last seen and before she was reported missing. The man's description of the teen and her clothes indicate that this may have been Brienne but it has never been confirmed. Again, more, more difficulty with this case, right? Yeah. Um, there's so many mayhaves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, memory isn't a perfect process. And, you know, eyewitness accounts, as we've seen time and time again, not, not necessarily always reliable. Right. People can remember details completely opposite of what actually happened. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had a memory of a place, Mike, and then gone back to it? And you're like, this is nothing how I remember. Yes, yeah. yeah. Or you have a conversation with somebody about how you remember something and they don't remember it that way at all. Yeah. They remember it entirely different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. RCMP air services from Kelowna searched the area where the young woman was seen. On Thursday, toward the Alcocolex Falls and River, a vehicle matching the description of Brienne's was spotted in a small gully off Echo Lake Road. Police found it was the car they were looking for, identifying it by the BC license plate of GMN661. The car had run into a tree in the gully and suffered minor damage to the front driver's side. No one was inside. The passenger door was ajar, and there was no sign of anyone around. It is unclear how the car came to be in the gully. Police discovered Brienne's driver's license, bank card, and over $200 cash inside the glove compartment. The cash was Brienne's. She'd cashed her paycheck on the day she disappeared. A size 11 men's boot print was found in the dirt near Brienne's car, but whether this is connected to Brienne's disappearance is unknown. Years later, Brienne's friend Anna, who created and maintains the site findbrienne.wordpress.com, was invited to view photos taken during the initial RCMP investigation at the scene. Anna described the photos, which also gives some insight into more items found within the car. Outside the car, on the ground, was a package of Colts, cigarellos, can of Budweiser, an empty air freshener package. Inside the car, one yellow and one red air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror, beach towel, one pouch of cigarettes on the console between driver and passenger seat, and it looks to be either Player's Brand or Number 7 Blue, a six-pack of Grower's Blackberry wine coolers. Visibly, you can only see two coolers in the box. One cooler is open, the other closed. The box is only open on one side. And note here, 
A comment later confirmed that Brienne had purchased the wine coolers to bring to her friend Christy when they were due to meet up that evening. The dash and outside the car are dusty. The foliage around the car is quite heavy. The passenger door was ajar, as described in the media, and the passenger window was open. Keys were in the ignition and appeared to have been in the off position. So police are tight-lipped about whether they could obtain strangers' fingerprints from the car or on the items inside, and they've also declined to comment on DNA collection. Why? That's a good question. To not even comment on anything about it is weird. Right. And it's like, okay, so I guess the police have their mysterious ways, and obviously... Or they went, oh shit, we should have collected DNA. It could have been that. Keep stumped. Three days after the discovery of Brienne's car, a province newspaper article quoted Cheryl Wolgram, who was deeply concerned for her daughter's welfare. Quote, Something weird has happened, said her mom, Cheryl Wolgram, who checks Brienne's room every morning hoping her daughter will be there. I'm hoping I'm in a dream, and when I wake up, this isn't going on. End quote. For several weeks, family, friends, and search and rescue teams combed the area in search of Brienne. Tracking dogs were utilized to follow Brienne's scent from her abandoned car. However, the trail suddenly disappeared three meters up the road, leaving investigators puzzled. Dogs also seemed to alert to what might have been Brienne's scent in a small area on Front Street in Revelstoke. When last seen, Brienne Wolgram was wearing jeans, a white t-shirt, and black sandals. She was 5 foot 2 inches tall and at the time weighed around 130 pounds. Other distinguishing characteristics are that she is a white female with light brown curly shoulder-length hair, sometimes straightened, often worn tied back. She has blue eyes and a birthmark on the back of her right leg. It's believed that Brienne was wearing three pieces of jewelry when she vanished. She wore a chain necklace with a star pendant, diamond earrings, and a diamond ring. Brienne's bank account has not been touched since she disappeared, and there was nothing of Brienne's missing from her family home. More after a quick break. And we are back. Matthew, what are your thoughts on this oh case so far? Oh my God. Yeah. There is so little to go on and so many unanswered questions. Right. Like, how did the car end up in the gully? Mm -hmm. Where did she go after the car crashed? Well, did it crash at all? Did somebody just push it into the gully? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Where did she go after the car made its way into the gully? Right. right? Yeah. There's no trace of her since she disappeared. There's no direct witnesses that saw, like anything happened to her mm -hmm. no named suspect no named persons of interest really we don't know if she voluntarily disappeared met with foul play by a stranger or by somebody she knew or if she wandered off maybe she wandered off and got lost lost in an accident right um literally almost anything could have happened to her i, I mean she could have actually been walking home and got attacked by a bear or something right right nothing is known and it yeah. must be so hard for family and friends Yep. To know absolutely nothing. How hard would that be, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> she could have been trafficked. Yeah. Like this, it could have been uh, one of those human trafficking situations as well. It literally could be anything. It could be anything. And that's, that's the difficulty in this, right? Yeah. 
Reports of Brienne allegedly being spotted came in from all over the world, but none proved to be her. As with many small towns, as we've mentioned in other cases, the rumor mill headed by town busybodies was in full effect. An article in a local paper indicated the vicious gossip caused the Wolgram family pain and that it should stop. Some rumors coldly claimed that Brienne had died by suicide. From the article titled, Let's Put a Lid on It, Please. Quote, The Issue a Revelstoke woman has been missing for nearly one month and rumors of her whereabouts and condition have been rampant. We suggest a community that cares about its own shouldn't be participating in the rumor mongering that is plaguing Revelstoke. Whoever invented the term town gossip should have pluralized it instead. It's been almost a month since Revelstoke's Brianne Wolgram went missing, and since the news broke, various members of the community have either started or participated in the spreading of countless rumors explaining the whereabouts of Brianne and her condition. This is simply sickening. Brianne is a real person. She has a real family, real friends, and her disappearance is frighteningly real. These rumors are nothing but hot air, traveling mouth to ear, from windbag to windbag, serving no purpose but to apparently ease the humdrum existence of those bored with small town life. But remember, this is a small town, and those rumors that seem so exciting to spread are damn painful to the people who love and care about Brienne. End quote. I'm going to talk about th that specific rumor, but first I want to give you an example. Yeah. For my parents' wedding anniversary, my aunt had a party in the, her barn yes i brought my boyfriend brad okay it was the first time i'd ever brought him to like a larger family function the first time they're ever seeing a boyfriend at a larger family function yeah and, okay. it, and it wasn't announced or right anything, yeah right? sure we went yep we ate and drank and mingled and talked to people sure said our goodbyes lovely you know yep great qu time quiet time a week later Somebody comes up to my brother at his work and goes, oh, I heard what happened at the party for your parents' anniversary. Yeah. And, and, and Strathroy is about the size of Revelstoke now. Sure. And my brother, and my brother was there. My brother's like, what do you mean? He's like, I, I heard your brother brought his boyfriend and got really drunk and pulled him up on a table and announced that they're gay and started making out and smashing things and everything. <laughs> My brother's like, what are you talking about? If only that would have happened. This is a small town. <laughs> yeah. Right? And mm -hmm. that's how... Ru so somehow, from Matthew Ron's boyfriend, went around town to my brother that this weird thing happened. Yeah, you had his tongue down, down yeah. his throat. Isn't of, that yeah. strange? Yuck. But I mean... People are gross. You know, and especially like th that is way less hurtful than people saying that that she died, she died by suicide. Yeah. Right? I think... Um, I doubt she did. Mm -hmm. But speaking from experience, like I've, I've known more, unfortunately, more than a few times over mm -hmm. uh, people who have, have died by suicide. The one thing I can say for sure is that you have no idea if a person is going to do it most of the time. Right. 90% of the people that I know have done it. I, uh, you know, if they said, hey, do you think this person will? No idea. So just because you don't believe that somebody wouldn't, it doesn't mean they're not going to. Yeah. Um, but I also think, you know, in this case, you look at where she's going, what she's doing. It doesn't, to me, because I've known a lot of people, it doesn't make sense that she would have, like, but you can never be sure. I always follow true crime, obviously. Often, I am so upset by the comments and speculation that goes on. Mm. 
people come at each other yeah. over, you know, opinions about what, and they have no idea. And then when the truth comes out, they were wrong all the time. And they don't like fess up to it. Either. Right. And, and then it's like, oh, well, yeah, well, they just move on to the next thing that they think they know about. Like, I mean, even though I do true crime as a living, I have no uh, delusions that I can solve a case. Do you know what I mean? Oh my God, Mike. The Mike. last person I'd want on my case if I was murdered would be you. Oh dear. <laughs> I don't mean that meanly, but I, I want the professionals on it. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you'd dig in and you'd try to help, but I, I'd like the professionals on I it. I would right? try to help. And this is why I don't like to cover unsolved cases because it leads people to talk about them in that way that is gross. But the flip side of that is it also it also raises the awareness again mm -hmm. in the hopes that somebody listening might have a piece of information about this poor girl for her poor family. Exactly. And that's why we are doing more unsolved cases. You know, a solved case is great and the stories are compelling, but these stories, uh, even though I, I'll talk about it a little bit at the end about how I feel, They're but frustrating. they are so frustrating because you want you want a resolution. I, I want a resolution for friends and family. Yeah. In February of 1999, a missing poster of Brienne was updated with the composite sketches of the three young women, who, of the young women who were seen with Brienne at the 7-Eleven on the night she vanished. All were white females, perhaps in their mid to late teens. All had dark hair. One female's hair was long and shaggy, the second had long straight hair parted in the middle and was heavier set than the other two, and the third female had curlier hair and a short, closely cropped haircut. In a province article, Cliff Wolgram, Brianne's dad, implored the women to come forward. He said, quote, They're not suspects. They might be able to take the story a little further. They'll have a little more information than we have. It's been seven months, and we haven't had anything pop up. As we mentioned, the young women have not come forward in the past 25 years, nor has anyone else been able to identify them. So strange that in a small town, nobody knows who they are. It, it says to me one of two things. Maybe they're from out of town, or maybe somebody saw something that they didn't actually see. Mm -hmm. Maybe these three women, maybe they were there. Right. But actually it just said hi to her, had nothing to do with her, didn't even think about it again, yep. and don't even know that people want to talk to them. Or maybe the witnesses saw something that they thought they were seeing that they didn't see. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, arg. The Missing Children's Society of Canada collaborated with the police on Brianne Wolgram's case. Following the release of composite sketches of the women last seen with Brianne on the night she vanished, they'd received between 40 and 50 tips. All were followed up. A new search of the area where Brianne's car was found was undertaken after the snow melted but it didn't reveal any new information. Once again, with new reporting on the case came the gossip. From the province newspaper's Greg Chamberlain in May 1999, quote, The RCMP say they have not made an arrest in the Brianne Wolgram missing person case, nor do they suspect a former Revelstoke resident now in the psychiatric ward in Vernon of having murdered the woman. Sergeant Art Kleinsmith said Tuesday the report circulating around town is nothing but a vicious rumor and the people spreading it should stop. It causes more grief for the family, Kleinsmith said. That's where the rumor mill does the most damage. 
Earlier this week, CKCR Radio aired an editorial condemning the rumor after listeners phoned asking if there were any truth to it. Kleinsmith said police are checking out all tips related to the case, but he noted that people who start false rumors can be charged under the criminal code with public mischief if they are found out. End quote. Two years after Brianne Wolgram disappeared, an article in the province indicated that Cheryl Wolgram had concerns about the investigation. From the article, quote, Brianne's mom worries that the police aren't doing enough to find her daughter. Some people have suggested Brianne may have run away or killed herself, but Wolgram says her daughter had her own car and bank account. She didn't have to run away, and Brianne was not suicidal, end quote. The article continues, quote, There has been absolutely nothing for two years, said her mom Cheryl Wolgram, who works as a house cleaner to stop herself from thinking too much. We still keep going over it, she says, wondering what could have happened. I don't think she did this deliberately. We know our daughter. The three girls last seen with Brienne haven't come forward and haven't been identified, which baffles Cheryl considering Revelstoke is a small, tight-knit community. Maybe Brienne went to a party with them. Maybe an accident happened. Maybe that's why they never came forward, because they're afraid, says Cheryl. I just wish if it was an accident that the people would come forward and let us know what happened. Her husband Cliff, a retired Canadian Pacific Railway engineer, is clinging to the thought that their only daughter is alive, said Cheryl. Until he sees it, she isn't dead. He wants proof, end quote. Some articles indicate Brienne had on a couple of occasions suffered from depression due to seasonal affective disorder. However, her family was adamant she was not depressed in September 1998. In the spring of 1999, the CBC radio morning show Daybreak Kelowna reported that Dr. Lee Poulos, the president of the Canadian Society of Clinical Hypnotists, had been brought in by police to hypnotize witnesses from the night of Brienne's disappearance. Poulos claimed that the police investigators frequently use hypnotism to help witnesses recall information. At the time, Poulos had been involved in over 250 cases and had worked on high-profile ones, including the hunt for the Abbotsford killer and the Air India bombing. We've covered the Abbotsford killer, and we will cover that other one. One of the witnesses, a female friend of Brienne's, revealed under hypnotism that a man in a red truck had been following and leering at Brienne and her friends. This information helped police create a composite sketch of the person of interest, but that man remains unidentified. According to Poulos, the other male witness was the last person to see Brienne alive, but was not a reliable witness under hypnosis. According to the U.S. Department of Justice archives, quote, in certain limited cases, the use of forensic hypnosis can be an aid in the investigative process. Witnesses to crimes have been able to recall certain facets of the crime while in a hypnotic state that they had not remembered without hypnosis. The use of hypnosis, however, is subject to serious objections and thus should be used only on rare occasions. The information obtained from a person while in a hypnotic trance cannot be assumed to be accurate. Therefore, any information obtained by the use of hypnosis must be thoroughly checked as to its ultimate accuracy and corroborated. In Canada in 2007, the Supreme Court decided that evidence obtained through hypnosis should not be admissible in criminal cases. The court stated that testimony based on such evidence 
is not credible enough to be considered reliable in a court of law. Yeah, and and all of that makes sense, both the the U.S. and the Canadian side, right? Mm-hmm. So I think under hypnosis, it I don't think it it's like spooky weirdness stuff. I think it's right. just unlocking some memories sometimes. Well, there's also suggestibility. Yeah, there's suggestibility, but you know, I think if if somebody's hypnotized and goes, "Oh my God, there was a red truck." Mm-hmm. And then the police like actually narrow down and then find somebody, right? If it helps them get to actual evidence, yeah, go for it. But you know, I, nobody can. Oh, you know, Mike Brown did it under hypnosis. Oh, let's go arrest Mike Brown. No, it can't work that way. Right. I mean, I hope not because I didn't do it. In the years after her disappearance, Brianne's friends and family raised a twenty thousand dollar reward through what they called the Blue Ribbon Campaign. The reward has since lapsed. However, there is a GoFundMe page to raise another more permanent reward on the findbrianne.wordpress.com site. The website created by Brianne's friend Anna in 2010 has collated news reports of Brianne's disappearance and other updates on the case, but there has not been a lot of new information since the young woman vanished. It is the definitive source for public-facing information about the case, however. The first post on the site reads, quote, We sit idly by for the problem to solve itself, but there must be someone out there doing something to find Brienne, right? The sudden realization that nothing's happening, no one is helping us, has taken 12 long years to sink in. Our sweet friend has been gone too long and she needs us now. She needed us then. Our mission is to publish the facts, dispel the myths, raise a significant financial reward for information, and ultimately, Find Brianne Wolgram, end quote. Poignantly, Anna posted an update complete with photos of young Brianne Wolgram on what would have been Brianne's 40th birthday, March 25, 2019. Anna wrote in part, quote, Today marks Brianne's 40th birthday. We still miss you, Brianne, and wish you could be here with us to celebrate this special day with us. About a week ago, I decided to once again attempt to bring more information to the public regarding Brianne's case. Last week, I emailed the RCMP and MCSC to try to have some questions answered, but I have not yet received a response. They are busy, so hopefully I will hear something back soon. I strongly believe this needs to happen and will try my best. It's really important to keep the memory of Brienne and this case alive and never stop trying to find answers. Often, I wonder if someone has spoken a portion of the truth already but the sheer volume of tips and wild information out there makes it all impossible to navigate. If one person says something and another does not, where do we go from there? End quote. Thank you to Anna for doing what you can to find your friend Brianne, and we hope your mission is soon accomplished with the most positive result possible. If you have information on Brianne Wolgram's disappearance or whereabouts, please email the Missing Children's Society of Canada at tips at mcsc.ca. Call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS-8447 or the Revelstoke RCMP non-emergency number at 250-837-5255. You can also leave an anonymous message through the contact page at findbrianne.wordpress.com and you can also email darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com and we'll pass on the information to the proper authorities. Thanks again to Brennan Storr, author of the book A Strange Little Place, for the nudge into this case. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find links to buy his book and listen to his podcast, 
the ghost story guys. While chatting with Brennan about Brienne's case, Brennan reminded me there had been other strange unrelated disappearances in Revelstoke. For example, a former United States Marine named Soterios Constantin Caviris left his home in Pasadena, California on October 15, 2008 in his 2005 dark blue four-door Hyundai Elantra with California license plate 5NFP506. He crossed the border into Canada with no significant belongings in the car. Soterios Caviris was last seen wearing a black jacket and blue jeans at the same Sun Lodge. He had recently purchased a rain poncho. He sent a postcard to a friend in Florida that arrived the first week of November in 2008, but has not been seen nor heard from since. Soterios has a medium build. He's got a tattoo of military dog tags on his ribcage and a tattoo of his first name, Soterios, in Greek lettering on his back. On his upper right back in the shoulder area, he has a tattoo that says USMC with an image of a human skull and crossed rifles and the words Crazy K. He was born on February 2nd, 1977 and was 31 when he disappeared. He's 6 feet 1 inches tall, a white male and weighed about 175 pounds. His hair is brown and he has hazel green eyes. Soterios has a medical condition that requires medical care. Soterios was believed to have been depressed and suicidal, and his handgun is unaccounted for. Soterios Caviras Hyundai Elantra was later found in Revelstoke with the keys inside the vehicle console, but there was no sign of Soterios. Again, if you have any information about Soterios' disappearance, please call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS-8477 or the Revelstoke RCMP non-emergency number at 250-837-5255. And you can find a link with photos of the missing man in our show notes. Brennan's store also reminded me of two campers who, within days of each other, and in apparently unrelated incidents, had gone missing near Beaton, B.C., to the south of Revelstoke in the summer of 2017. Jared Zabo, 29, was last seen August 1st in the Beaton area and was reported missing on August 3rd, triggering a search involving aircraft, RCMP, and regional search and rescue organizations. Searchers discovered a white pickup truck submerged in the Incomaplu River, later confirmed to belong to Sabo. He was nowhere to be found. Kelowna resident Alan Ellsworth, 53, was last seen on July 31st in the Trout Lake area. Trout Lake is located near Beaton, B.C. on Highway 31, north of the Galena Bay Ferry Terminal. Ellsworth was vacationing in the Trout Lake area and failed to return to Kelowna. He was reported missing on Tuesday, August 8, 2017, and he has not been heard from since. According to Brennan's research, many others have gone missing near Revelstoke or close by in other areas around B.C.'s interior. And there's no evidence that these cases are in any way related, even though there are similarities, like the cars of the people being found without any sign of their owners. These unresolved disappearance cases always leave me feeling really empty. And I can't imagine what the families feel. Like, I'm somebody who's just has a public interest in this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But imagine having a personal interest in this. Imagine it being... Justin. Yeah. Or imagine, imagine me, Mike, just, I disappear one day. You, Justin, nobody ever hears from me again and you don't know what happened. It would, I hope you'd think about me in the rest of your life. 
and try to figure out what happened. So now you're going to disappear so people will think about you? No. <laughs> I could see the light going on in your eyes there. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but, but yeah, no, exactly. Of yeah. course. Of course people who, who care about you and love you are going to think like if, about... If you disappeared tomorrow, I'd, yeah. I'd be like, for the rest of my life, I'd be thinking about you, right? And sure. I'd put up flyers. You know, I'd do a lot of stuff. I'd, I'd try to figure out how to work the boards. I'm pointing at... The, the, yep, my road. The boards here because I do I can talk, but I have no idea what button to push to make sure the podcast goes. As out. long as one and three are on, are not highlighted with the right. little mute, okay. mute thing, they're on. Well, if you disappear, Morgan can help me, and we'll get the message out. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she wouldn't know how to do it either. That's, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, Morgan, <laughs> keep, keep learning if you're listening. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I don't disappear, so you don't. You guys don't have to do that. But uh, I'm no. not planning on disappearing. And... Well, and we'll do your case on this show and her show. So we'll do it from a potential true crime, and we can do it from an alien abduction from her side. Okay. Oh, boy. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> oh, my. But before we go, we want to play a promo for the Ghost Story Guys podcast, and it's hosted by Paul Bestall, a guy who Morgan and I have talked to on Supernatural Circumstances, and, of course, Brennan Storr, who I spoke to a lot about this case. So Great. check it out. It's worth a listen. Hey, I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestel. We're the Ghost Story Guys. And every two weeks, we'll bring you a range of spooky stories from around the world. That's right. True life stories of the paranormal told with humor, humanity, and a pinch of skepticism. And other stuff that generates a lot of angry emails. Sometimes. Well, less over time. You know, I think as people get angrier at us, they... Anyways, Paul, this is all going very badly. <laughs> We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere. Find Podcast Live, or you can find us at ghoststoryguys.com. Stay spooky. Can Jim Harold sue us for that? <laughs> oh, yeah, he might do, yeah. We're sorry, Jim. We love you. <laughs> yeah, we'll not say that. <laughs> and for our patrons of those $5 and above who can have access to the after show on Patreon, You'll hear a great conversation Brennan and I had expanding on a few of the things that we talked about in this show and beyond. So please check that out. And that is it for Dark Poutine episode 261, The Disappearance of Brianne Wolgram. That's right. It's time for voicemails. You can leave us a message at 1-877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARK-PTN. We'd love to hear from you. Let's see who called us this week. All righty. Uh, voicemail time, and we've got a couple this week. Great. Yeah, let's listen to the first one. Uh, I think it's from somewhere in the United States of America along the West Coast here. Hey, Mike and Matthew. This is Kim. I am calling from, well, close to Portland, Oregon. I live in Washington, which is right across the bridge, right across the border to the north. Um, so these things make me a little nervous. So I'm doing this in rush hour traffic. So I'm so distracted by the other people that um, I don't have to think about too much about what I'm going to say. But um, I have to tell you, I don't know what go shit in your hat means. 
and I am resident Canadian. I'm a nurse by trade, and um, my church nurse is from Paisley. Not quite sure where that is, but um, I asked her. She's we have very different personalities, and she's more stoic, I guess, than I am. But I asked her if she knew what taking a shit in your hat was, and she looked at me with this disgusted look on her face and said <laughs> she'd never heard of it before. And my other sister is from Shelburne, Nova oh, Scotia. my neck of the woods. And she doesn't know either, so I don't know what's going on, if they've just been gone too long and they don't know what this means. Anyway. I've never heard of it before. As so. everyone else does, I love you guys. You're the highlight of my week, and I just enjoy your personality so much. And my very favorite thing is when Matthew says something. Uh-oh, please, man. Um, not for me. When uh, Matthew says something a little spicy oh. or whatever, and it makes Mike say, oh, dear. That's my, my favorite. My mom likes that, too. I love it. It's too much fun. And I love the commentary, just the sort of side notes and your guys' friendship um, obviously runs very deep, and it's are we a great pleasure to listen to both of you. So thank you for all you of do. Of course we are. And I guess go take your shit in your hat, even though I don't know what that means. Bye. Okay, so we will address go shit in your hat first. I, I, at no time did I really say it's Canadian. I guess maybe I've sort of hinted at it. It's not really, it doesn't really matter. I, I'd never heard of it before. You know where I got it from? Where? The Sopranos. Really? It was, <laughs> it was junior, it was junior Soprano. Uh, he was being told something, blah, 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 blah. And he just it's looked at the so person. Funny. And instead of saying F off. Right. He said, ah, go shit in your hat. So look at you. You're starting to create stereotypes of Canadians. Yeah, right. So, Kim, Paisley is in Ontario near Owen Sound. Yep, that's right. Um, I, when I was like a young teen, I loved Paisley t-shirts. Mm -hmm. I um, like I like Paisley too. I still do. But I really liked I really like Kim's voicemail. So I'm gonna I'm. She says she's a nurse, but I'm gonna. Make, I think she has a side job. I'm gonna make something else. Up yeah. So being from Portlandia. Okay. I think she fixes fixed gear bikes because everyone in Portland has a fixed spirit gear bike as we as we all know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, so someone's got to do it. Yeah, I think they hate that stereotype. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, so so Kim, you fix fixed gear bikes and I was howling with laughter when that voicemail was playing and you're like, "Oh, oh, please." And then you hear a little boo. And you're like, not for me. Yeah. I hope you're driving carefully. Not yeah. Yeah. We hope, we hope you're driving. We, we did hear the police though. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Thanks for calling Kim. Yes. Uh, here's our second voicemail for the week. Hi guys. So I'm calling. Um, so I've been a listener for a very long time. Uh, my name is Dee Dee. I always will be just when I come into my town and I see the name of our town, I always think of the podcast where it was a while ago and you guys go um, talk about the town named Forest. And you guys said, wow, that's a really weird name. That's like a town surrounded by forest. And I just wanted to let you guys know that I went to school in a town called Forest and there was absolutely no forest. 
Um, and then you guys were like, that'd be like a town called Rivers, but it's surrounded by rivers. And after I graduated, I actually ended up moving to a town called Rivers. <laughs> um, and it is surrounded by a river. Um, and I just, all the time when I come into the town and I see that, I think of that podcast where you guys are making fun of the town names. And I ended up being in both of those towns. Um, yeah, I really like you guys, though. I keep listening to it, even though you guys totally dissed my town names. But um, my little is crying here, so I'm going to hang up. Uh, thanks. Bye. Oh, she's crying because mummy's laughing probably. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I come from one of those towns myself. So that's why I, I take uh, any opportunity to diss. So forest, uh, forest, you're surrounded by forest. Rivers, you're surrounded by rivers. I'm from Bridgewater. Okay. <laughs> I wanna, so I so live, there are bridges over the water. I yes. want to live in a ha- town called Hot Guys. Ew. Where I'm surrounded by hot guys. <laughs> well, I mean, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> so, so Dee Dee helps her brother in his laboratory. Doing what? Do what you, does he have a laboratory? Do you remember Dexter's lab? De- oh, yeah. Dexter's the cartoon lab. with his sister, Dee Dee. Dee Dee. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. So that's kind of fun. And I hope your little one stopped crying. We hope so. Yeah. But. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Yeah. Thank you. That's it for this week's voicemails. Again, you can leave us one at one 327 5786 or one 877 We'd love to hear from you, even if it is just to say hi and to tell us to go shit in our hats. If you're stumped for what to chat with us about, a quick story is welcome. Alrighty, let's get to our patrons. Uh, this week, we have from Red Deer, Alberta, Stacy Carmichael. Stacy Carmichael. Hello, Stacy. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Stacy. Uh, Stacy comes in at our eager beaver tier, which is uh, five dollars or seven dollars and fifty cents Canadian. Sweetness. <laughs> yeah, but uh, what does Stacy Carmichael do there in Red Deer, Alberta? She sneaks out in the middle of the night and paints the deer red. Well, of course, someone's got to do it. Yeah, that's it's you know. She's holding up the, the, um, the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Tradition? The tradition of the town and the reason why the town's called what it's called. There you go. Perfect. Yep. So she does it middle of the night, (laughs) hides the paints of can in the garage. The paints of can? And then the paints of can, (laughs) the cans of paint, and Mm -hmm. then goes back to sleep in the morning. There you go. Next we have Kathy Duke and Kathy is from Almogordo. New Mexico. Almagordo. Almagordo, New That's Mexico. That's an interesting name. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what she does there in Almagordo, New Mexico, but uh, we can take some wild guesses. I know exactly what she does. What's that? She has a tea plantation. Tea? Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, she, I. She grows Earl Grey. She's the Duke of Earl. You know that... Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> You know that there is a Museum of Space History in Almogordo, New Mexico. Really? Yeah, which is kind of fun. Does she sell tea maybe there? Of course she Well, she makes it, and they sell it there. Of course they do. No, she she doesn't just sell there. She's like, she's the distributor. And there's also something else that's kind of fun in Almogordo, New Mexico. Okay. McGinn's Pistachio Land with the world's largest pistachio. So they have like a big pistachio uh, sculpture. Okay. There. 
like is it shelled or unshelled? It is shelled. Okay. And it, it, the shell is sort of open a little bit. Okay. You can see in the see the green pistachio nice. inside. So, so there you go. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, she's she's a tea a, a tea baroness uh, or duke. Is there such a thing as pistachio flavored tea? If not, there should be. <laughs> I, I think everything's been done. Everything has been done to death. Uh, next, we have Kim Gorsline. Kim Gorsline. And I don't know where Kim is from. Uh, she is a donut money donor. So where on earth is Kim Gorsline from? Number one. Madrid. She's from Madrid. Is that Spain or is it one of those other places no, named the, Madrid? the real Madrid. Okay, the real Madrid, which is yeah. also a, a footy team. Real Madrid. Yeah. Anyway, um, so what does she do in Madrid? She works at the art gallery. She works at the art gallery? Yep. Okay. Um, I, that must be an interesting place. Is there like... Isn't Salvador Dali from Madrid? Oh, what? No, he's Catalan. He's what? Catalan. Okay. Well, yeah, she know. she works at the Museo Nacional de Prado. Okay, there you go. Yeah, great. She uh, looks after all that art. Yeah, not Salvador Dali's art though. Uh, there might be some there. Right. But he wasn't from he wasn't from Madrid. But he is Spanish, so I have the right country. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, but there's lots of politics. Okay, I gotcha. Uh, next, we have our good friend from Maine. I know she's from Maine. Katrina Hockey. And she says, sending best wishes to Mike Matthew, Steve Egg and Waffles. It's been a while. It has. I recently started a new job in my role as psychiatric nurse practitioner and wanted to celebrate my new job, the newest addition to our family, sweet baby Rory, Rory. now four months old. He's so cute. Vito, Rory, and I are sending you a little something to thank you for the amazing work you do. Dark Poutine is an entertaining and researched, well-researched, respectful podcast, and you and Matthew make it as fun as can be, given the content discussed. I love the after show, too. Dark Poutine is by far my favorite true crime podcast, and I'm so grateful for the work you both do for all of us Dark Poutine fans. Well, thank you. I love Katrina. I think Katrina might have a hobby there in Maine, and I'm not sure what that is. So maybe Matthew knows what kind of hobby Katrina does, or it could even be a side gig. Well, I've actually seen a picture of her house, and they have lots of lovely orchard trees around it, if I remember properly. Oh, okay. So I think maybe that's part of it. She's like pressing apple cider? Yeah, well, we we had somebody pressing apple cider last week. Did we? Frankly, between (laughs) Vito and Rory. Yeah. She's probably quite busy. Probably. <laughs> but it's good to see you back. I think, you know, new baby looking after that dog with the tongue, probably quite busy there for a while. But congratulations on the new job. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we could probably both use a psychiatric nurse practitioner. To tell you yeah, just uh, sometimes we do episodes and I, th- I feel like I need one after the episode. Me too. Right? Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Katrina. Thanks, and Katrina. to everybody else. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks to all our patrons and Donut Money donors past and present for your generosity. It helps to keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us Donut Money via PayPal using our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. 
If you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot if you did. You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you haven't gotten yours yet, my book, Murder, Madness, and Mayhem, is available to order via a link on the Dark Poutine website. And speaking of darkpoutine.com, please check it out for show notes and other cool stuff. We'd appreciate it if you took the time to give Dark Poutine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening. And tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And that's it for this episode of Dark Poutine. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.